You're listening to 3CR Radio. We're joined by Claire Land. Claire is the author of Decolonising Solidarity, Dilemmas and Direction for Supporters of Indigenous Struggles. Claire, welcome. Thank you. That's an amazing title. Where to begin? How would you define decolonising solidarity? Well, it's got a double meaning. It means that the practice of solidarity needs to be decolonised. So for people who are non-Indigenous wanting to support Indigenous struggles, we need to do that in a way that doesn't contain colonial dynamics of taking over and being patronising and displacing Aboriginal people at the same time that we're wanting to be supporters. The second meaning of it is that solidarity, political support of Aboriginal struggles needs to be directed to, needs to be a force for decolonising. It's not about reconciliation or closing the gap. It's about land rights, increasing, repatriating land and power to Aboriginal people. So decolonising solidarity tries to express both of those ideas. And of course, Indigenous solidarity is so incredibly important today on what is a disastrous day, really, for Indigenous communities. I mean, it's incredible, incredibly insensitive that we're actually celebrating the 26th of January when it was just the beginning of so many terrible things for Indigenous people. What emotions come up for you, Claire, when you hear the words Australia Day? Australia Day makes me think of flag-waving Aussies and most of I mean, and flag-waving Aussies, there's a particular type of flag-waving Aussie that is a white nationalist racist, and that is really scary. That's what Australia Day makes me think of on, on one level, but it is a highly significant, highly it's a highly symbolic day. It is the, it's the worst day you could choose to celebrate the Australian nation from an Aboriginal point of view. Like, there isn't a more incentive. There's a no more insensitive day you could choose because it is the day that Sydney Cove was, you know, like that possession was declared over Sydney Cove. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't involved at all with Aboriginal people or any political Aboriginal people or Indigenous struggles before 97, but since then I've got to... I've worked alongside a lot of Aboriginal people and it's just... Like the whole of January is just this feeling of dread building up and building up to, to the worst and saddest day in the year. But, but that said, I mean, every day is a struggle. But the, high, the highly symbolic nature of it, it does, does bring it to the fore somewhat. Why is it so difficult to convince the mainstream media, do you think, that Australia Day needs to be changed to a different date? I mean, it just seems a no-brainer to me. Yeah, look, I think, I think it's a massive testament to Aboriginal political actors since 1938 and probably prior, but that was the day that the Day of Mourning was declared by just these amazing Aboriginal community people in Sydney. That So Melbourne and Sydney people um, meeting in Sydney for a national meeting and others as well. But I'm not sure that it's a, it's a no-brainer to change the date, but I'll come back to that. I think the fact that each year there is more and more questioning by a greater number of I guess the general population, non, non-Aboriginal population of Australia, I think that is, has been increasing. So Aboriginal people have been chipping away at the idea of blindly celebrating on Australia Day because it is about, it does, it's a bit like dancing on, on the graves of Aboriginal people to just celebrate and not at all reflect or, or recognise um, that there's an, another side to the story. So yeah, but if you want to talk about change date, 
that'd be good. Do you want to go to that now? Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's it's one of those things that 3CR listeners should really, really spend some time on because there's a lot of amazing, you know, amazing sympathy for Aboriginal struggle on, on 3CR and amongst the listeners. But there are a number of political nuances. So there's, a, there's been a consistent questioning of the character of a feeling that should that should prevail on on the 26th of January. The one, I mean, it was called the Day of Mourning back in 1938. It's been it's it's also called it's the Day of Invasion. It's Invasion Day. It's Survival Day. But in the last couple of years, there's been you know the hashtag Change the Date. The Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Their hashtag is Abolish Australia Day. And Robbie Thorpe, who's well known to three star listeners, a long time broadcaster, and of course political theorist of the Southeast Aboriginal struggle. He's 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 actually asking people to make a date. You know, it's it's not about if we were to change the date, nothing would be solved. You know, the, the unfinished you'd have to you have to deal with the unfinished business and uh, and land rights. Otherwise, there's always going to be a problem. And the day will still be a sad day because it's always a day of reflection, even if all the all the political demands are met, it is still a moment, a, a, a time that's going to be a reminder of the fact that Aboriginal Australia changed forever on that day, or the pivotal, you know, it was the the, the um, pivot point to a completely different way. Um, so, do you think we need to continue to acknowledge the date, but just to reframe it? For instance, to call it Morning yep. Day, uh, and for White Australia, yep. if it wants to do its flag waving, you know, Aussie, Aussie, oi, oi, oi thing, to pick a different date that's not so insensitive and offensive to Indigenous people. That's right. And so, Ken Wyatt, the Liberal MP from Western Australia, an Aboriginal man, he said that you know we can change the date of Australia Day when we become a republic. So that, and that's the Robbie Thorpe line as well in terms of make a date. So Australians can be unified; they can have a day together but we have to make that happen we have to get from here to treaty and once we've got a treaty then that can be the date so change the date is not a political demand no one's ever asked to just to change the date they've asked for land rights and they've asked for people to remember history so it is really been great this you know at least for non-aboriginal people who are going through an education process it's probably a pretty painful process for aboriginal people to do the educating but i think it like the debate and the discussion of all this is important and has and does have the potential for people to really get um, more informed about the politics of this. So I'm glad I'm glad to talk about it. And I'm you know I don't know I don't have all the answers, but I just think it's important to to try to distinguish between the different politics of the different calls that are being made. You were a key organizer and supporter of the camp Sovereignty Action in 2006, which shaped. Um which shaped a lot of the contents of your book, Decolonising Solidarity, you know, which gives guidelines for non-Indigenous people to be supportive in relation to uh, justice and land rights and restitution. Can you tell us what the experiences were for you during that time? The Black DST um, has been an incredible expression of a political agenda. It's really, it's really sunk in and, and stuck since that time. So that was first kind of published as a, as a kind of political statement on a T-shirt in on Invasion Day 2005, leading up then to the um, the Stolen Wealth Games in 2000, March 2006. So yeah, Black GST, the genocide to be stopped, sovereignty to be acknowledged, and treaties made. So that's been incredibly influential, I think, politically throughout the progressive community in in Victoria. 
Yeah, it was beautiful to be part of a staunch group, a support, a key supporter of that staunch group of Aboriginal people. It was Gary Foley, Robbie Thorpe, Marge Thorpe, beautiful man called Targan, and people like Arika Waiulu and Michael Penrith were around too. So uh, the solidarity politics that unfolded at the camp were typical of, of stories I'd heard and a bit of history I'd read particularly written by Gary Foley about whiteness and blackness in the struggle over the 20th century. There have been lots of campaigns, including for Katsi, which ran the campaign to hold and win the 1967 referendum. And then things like Jabaluka and different different campaigns often have been characterised by conflict and contest over how supporters are expressing that support. And Aboriginal people have had to, you know, they want useful supporters, but and they'll put up with quite a bit if supporters are being useful, but sometimes it's too much and it's too much work and, and, and they need to ask supporters, look, could you actually, it's great that you're here, but could you do stuff differently? And there was a moment about that at the camp and unfortunately a lot of non-Indigenous people found that kind of upsetting and so and weren't able to go, look, this is about the cause, I'm going to stick with it, I'm going to do what I'm asked and, you know, so I've been, you know, slightly chagrined, I guess, by a, a little bit of an, an ask to do something differently, then I'll follow that and I will you know, commit to still being here. So that was a really clear example of, of why the book needed to be written. What's your next project? <laughs> Have you got another book in the pipeline? There is going to be another book. And this time it's writing a story that needs to be told. And it's the story of, of Northland Secondary College, which was the school in East Preston. A lot of three, long-time 3 cell listeners will be aware of it. And anyone in the public sector or... Um, public education in Victoria would know about the, the massive number of schools that were closed down by Jeff Kennett in 92-93 in Victoria. Northland was one of them and it was the school with the highest number of Aboriginal kids enrolled anywhere in the state and there was a massive campaign by the community there to stop the school from being closed and then to, to gain its re, reopening a couple of years later. So it, it's a well-known story particularly for a lot of Koori people that it needs to be further amplified and it's a case of systemic race discrimination by the state. The Royal, Death, Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody comes into the story because this was a school that was known and proved to have been stopping Aboriginal kids from going to, going to jail and dying in custody. So there's a lot of lessons there. But one of the key parts of it is just the people power and the, and the winning that struggle. It so was yeah, one that, of the great victories, wasn't it, against Jeff Kennedy? It was kind of like a defining moment in the, in the backlash against his government. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of the things that really pissed him off and, and he has then rehabilitated his image to some degree or tried to, but really he, um, you know, this story can't be let, let go. I mean, the, the histories of the Kennedy era, they don't even talk about Northland and it was one of the, one of the biggest battles of his political career. So yeah, it's interesting how even in that short time, the histories have excluded the Aboriginal view of the Kennet years, not just Northland, but also like the Native Title Act and what he did around Native Titles. So yeah, I mean, even since my time as a, as a uni student and, and up till now, I can see the process of history being written, uh, Aboriginal history being written out. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.